This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and I'm so glad you've tuned in to Self Work today. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I've been practicing for, gosh, 2019. It will make it 26 years here in Fayetteville. I'm not at all burned out by what I do. In fact, I still so enjoy and feel very honored that people tell me about their histories and their lives and ask me to help with trauma or loss or grief or depression or anxiety, whatever it happens to be. And two years ago, when I began podcasting, I really wanted to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who may be seeing other therapists but would appreciate a slightly different opinion. For those of you who are new to mental health or mental illness and you've been diagnosed with depression or anxiety or an eating disorder or bipolar disorder, whatever it is, and perhaps this would be helpful to you as well. And thirdly, for those of you who might never reach out to a therapist or psychologist for help but are curious about what someone like me would have to say. So welcome to all three groups or whoever else is listening. Today, I'm going to focus again on my passion, Perfectly Hidden Depression. I'm writing a book on it that will actually be published in November of 2019. I received two emails this week in the same day, and I actually thought someone had sent their email twice because what I saw at the very beginning of the email was so dramatic. Both of those first sentences were, I think you may have saved my life. I'm very humbled by that and thankful for that. Their stories were really not too similar, except they both definitely identified with perfectly hidden depression. So I was going to do my original post on it because I thought, well, the first post on PhD was way back more than 100 episodes ago, so perhaps I ought to talk about it again. But I listened to that episode and actually thought it was still very relevant. So instead, we're going to focus today on what perfectly hidden depression is not. I've talked about it not being a diagnosis of its own, but how is it different from just healthy coping? It's also a fact that you're not going to be able to walk into your physician's office or any other mental professional's office and ask them to treat you for perfectly hidden depression because it's a term that I've created. So we'll talk about maybe how you can approach other professionals. It's also sometimes hard to see in yourself, which, of course, makes it more difficult, right? And the last point I want to make, it PhD or perfectly hidden depression isn't all of who you are. We're going to talk about all of these points as we explore more what perfectly hidden depression is not. Our listener email today is from a young man who's had tremendous loss and trauma in his life and is now in therapy, but is having trouble with trust and opening up quite understandably, actually. So we'll get to our listener email, which is a regular feature of self-work, in just a minute. So thanks for being here. Let's settle in and talk about perfectly hidden depression. We're talking today 
about what perfectly hidden depression is not. For those of you who may not know what it is, you can give a quick listen to episode three, my very first podcast on perfectly hidden depression. It's when perfectionism and over-responsibility, denial or detachment from any kind of painful trauma or emotions, when all of that hides or attempts to hide or cover up an actual depression. But perfectly hidden depression can look like healthy coping. You know, whether we're born with certain skills or learn them along the way, we each gather these skills, things we do competently, and we carry them around in our psychological toolbox to use when we need them. As an example, perhaps organization comes easily to you. You methodically design your approach and follow through when meeting a deadline. Or you could be quite the opposite. You're someone who waits until that deadline is looming before you get something done. You're most effective in a time crunch. Neither skill or strategy is particularly better than the other one, but they both can be considered skills. You handle stress through the use of those skills. It becomes the way you function. If you notice when a sudden death occurs in the family, you will see how different people respond. Some distract themselves initially by focusing on what needs to get done. Others are far more comfortable expressing their grief. Others deny any pain at all or even seem angry. What's in our toolbox helps us deal with life, both the good and the not so good. So healthy coping is using constructive skills to deal with whatever comes your way, from the joyous things in life to the more painful. Anger management is a skill. Self-soothing or calming yourself down is a skill. Processing information rationally is a skill. These skills help you get through things that perhaps you wonder if you can get through them, but you do. You emotionally survive. Now, one of the chief characteristics of perfectly hidden depression is an almost complete denial of painful emotions, and that's not healthy. Healthy coping does involve a compartmentalization of feelings, meaning you put them away when it's not appropriate or helpful to feel them. But when it's safe, when you have the energy, when you have privacy, or simply when you have time, you connect with those feelings, good or bad. And if they're painful, you risk sitting with hurt or sadness, darkness or despair in order to heal. Everybody learns to compartmentalize. Good parents have soothed their children, so those children learn that feeling sad or bad is tolerable. And you've probably watched your parents soothe themselves. You learn through this kind of modeling that emotions don't have to govern your life, that there's a time and a place to express them. Healthy parents teach their kids about feeling pain and working through it a bit at a time. You know, you may have heard some version of an old proverb, the wind does not break a tree that bends. So connecting with these sadder thoughts, more painful experiences and emotions is bending. You recognize on a very basic level that you can't survive the storm if you're too rigid. This is if your coping skills are healthy. Then you bend. You express vulnerability. You feel all emotions. Your tree won't break. But if you struggle with perfectly hidden depression, you've got this backwards. You believe you'll break if you bend, if you admit vulnerability or hurt. You have to begin to challenge that thought. So perfectly hidden depression is definitely not, in its entirety, healthy coping. It can look like healthy coping, but it's really not. Let's talk a little bit about PhD not being a recognized diagnosis or mental disorder. You know, many people have emailed me and said, where can I go to get help for PhD? If I tell my doctor I have it, 
then they'll treat me for it, right? No. If you have a similar experience as others who've written to me, there's a small chance you'd be diagnosed with depression. It's far more likely, if you aren't totally honest, which of course is the problem, your practitioner's understanding will be incomplete. I had someone write me and tell me this story. Let's call him Sam. Sam went to the doctor because he was getting too close to the edge, and the doctor was pretty cold, aloof kind of guy. Sam said, he gave me a depression inventory instead of talking with me, and I answered, of course, like someone with Ph.D. The inventory asked if I felt hopeless. I wasn't about to admit that, so I checked no. For someone like me, the question should be, if you felt hopeless, would you tell anyone? The answer would still be no, but we could have talked about my perfectly hidden depression. The doctor was assuming I'd completely open up to him. I attempted suicide the next week, and surprisingly, the same doctor visited me in the hospital. And he said to me, you masked your feelings, his tone inferring that I should blame myself for not being truthful. And my answer was, you didn't ask the right questions. Now, the obvious point here is if you don't tell a doctor or therapist exactly what's wrong, how can they know? That's not their fault. But clinicians do need to be thinking outside of the box picking up on nonverbal cues, sensing the huge pressure that you carry on a daily basis. They need to watch and wait for the normal emotional expression that rarely comes from someone with perfectly hidden depression. And if they notice, and if they ask the right questions, they'll get it. But you've heard the old saying, if it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, and quacks like a duck, then it's probably a duck. If you experience perfectly hidden depression and head over to your local doctor or therapist, they're not likely to diagnose you as a duck. You don't look, swim, or quack like a depressed person. So that's its danger, and you need to understand that if you go for help. You know, the third point is that perfectly hidden depression isn't always easy to see in yourself. It's actually just the way you view yourself. It's a product of how you decided to emotionally and mentally survive whatever family situation that you grew up in. You know, even siblings reared in the same home adapt differently to that home. One may rebel, one may try to please or make people laugh, one may work to fix a situation, another one may become invisible. You probably can think about your own way of surviving, but you don't necessarily recognize your own strategy as a strategy. It simply became who you are. Oh, that's just Jason. He stays out of the way. Or, you know, you can always count on Gail. Underneath the obvious superficial behavior is an unconscious strategy, and it's likely to greatly affect you in the way you approach your life. So what does that mean to you? Perfectly hidden depression may not be easy to see in yourself. Sometimes perfectly hidden depression isn't intentional. It's not conscious. Sometimes it takes someone like your partner or friend pointing out how you didn't cry when your friend died or how you can seem more uptight about how the kids are doing in school or how you stay constantly busy. Even if they say something to you, it might not sink in. You say, I'm fine, really, it's all good. Many people who've reached out to me identifying with PhD tell me that they themselves have searched online about depression. Their gut was telling them something was wrong, but they just didn't know what. They were puzzled, in fact, at what they found. I didn't see myself in what I read. I'm really active. I think pretty clearly. I enjoy my kids. So they dismissed any idea that they might be depressed. So here's my last point. 
perfectly hidden depression isn't all of who you are. You know, you may have many healthy coping skills in your skill set, but if you identify with perfectly hidden depression, and again, that's in episode three and actually four, and then other episodes are interspersed throughout. If you do identify with PhD, some of what you consider a skill or solution may actually have morphed into a problem. Yet you don't want to make the mistake of throwing out the baby with the bathwater, as the saying goes. Counting your blessings and being grateful is positive. Working hard toward a goal or striving to do your best is far from pathological. Thinking ahead, predicting what concerns or dangers there could be, which is a close cousin of worry, and worry is another characteristic of perfectly hidden depression, that kind of predicting has a definite place in good problem-solving. So as I've stressed before in other podcasts, but I'll repeat it again, it's when you don't allow others in, when you can't be vulnerable, that it becomes an issue. It becomes self-destructive when your perfectionistic critical voice is screaming at you nonstop in the background. It's a problem when obsessive worry takes over and pressures you into working feverishly for control that you're not going to gain. We could talk about most of the characteristics of perfectly hidden depression and talk about how in moderation they've worked for you, not against you. Yet somewhere in you, there's a gut understanding of what's happened. Whatever has been positive and helpful about the behaviors and beliefs you've used for years to cope is causing a kind of loneliness and a lack of true connection that's intolerable. So I hope that's helpful. Our listener email today is from a young man who's 23 years old. First, I'd like to thank you for your informative podcasts. I recently discovered you, and I can't stop listening. That pleases me. Secondly, I'd like to ask you for some advice. I've recently left an abusive relationship with my adopted father. He was physically and emotionally abusive, more so emotionally. It became quite toxic, and I felt physically and emotionally drained and exhausted. I graduated and moved to Switzerland. This young man lives in Europe. This was a decision that I made within two months, so it was quite abrupt. And my entire adopted family has stopped communicating with me. I had a close relationship with my adopted mother, but now I don't have a relationship with her at all. I had experienced a lot of trauma as a child. I had a relative take their own life. I grew up poor and moved from orphanage to orphanage. My mother died when I was eight years old, and I was sexually assaulted. I've never told anyone about this before and feel quite ashamed. I tried to commit suicide when I was a teenager, but I had never felt more scared. Eventually, I learned to cope with depression And it's quite episodic, but I feel it returning since my move. Often, I don't feel worthy of love, and I'm in therapy, but I'm having a difficult time opening to her. I'm not sure why. Any suggestions would be helpful. Thank you so much. Hello. Thanks so much for being a podcast listener. You've had incredible loss in your life, and I can hear that your own emotional life has been difficult to manage. I'm so glad you're in therapy. I don't hear that you've had anyone except your adopted mother who you could trust or feel safe with. So it's no wonder you're having a hard time opening up. And even she didn't protect you from your adopted father. I would advise that you talk about just that. Take the opportunity to let your therapist know that you're having a hard time with trust or you're afraid. It also sounds like you're dealing with shame over the sexual abuse, and that can certainly lead to difficulty with being open. 
there's a wonderful book, Healing the Shame That Binds You, that might be very helpful to you. You're so wise to ask for help. The move to another country, the break with your family, and carrying around shame, even one of those is enough to spark depression. Please take care. I thought this was a very helpful email because he has had a lot of trauma and a lot of loss, as many of you may have had. And of course, it can make it difficult to trust anyone, even a therapist. So just talk about that difficulty in and of itself, and that's where you start. I want to thank you today for listening to Self Work, and thank you for all the ratings and reviews. I so appreciate them. For those of you who are saying the podcast is just okay, let me know what could be better. I'm more than open to suggestions. And keep those emails coming in at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. They are confidential. I'm the only one who sees them. And if you don't want me to use them on the air, I certainly will not do so. Just let me know. You can reach me on my website at drmargaretrutherford.com and subscribe there if you like. And you get a weekly blog post and this podcast. So it's an easy way to stay caught up. I want to thank you so much today for being here. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.